Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist, and I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today's episode is brought to you by the Eating Disorder Therapist Book Club. Now this month we are reading I Can't Stop Eating by Sarah Dosange. If you want to join the book club, you get four extra podcast episodes a month and access to a supportive Facebook group. So if you're interested, do sign up in the show notes and the link is there and it costs just £5 or the equivalent of seven USA dollars per month. Okay, so today I have another guest on the show and I'm speaking to Mindy Gorman-Plutzer. Mindy Gorman-Plutzer brings 25 years of experience to her private practice as a certified functional nutrition and lifestyle practitioner and eating psychology coach. Her life experience and training inspired her to create a framework that combines functional nutrition, positive psychology and mind-body science. Mindy is passionate about helping others recover from eating disorders and to create a healthier lifestyle. And her approach tackles the root cause of the issue and emphasizes that how and why you eat is just as important as what you eat. In addition, Mindy is the author of The Freedom Promise, Seven Steps to Stop Fearing What Food Will Do to You and Start Embracing What It Can Do for You. It sounds incredibly empowering. So I'm really looking forward to speaking with Mindy today to hear more about her healing journey and the wonderful work that she is doing. Let's get to the interview. Hi, Mindy, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Harriet, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you very, very much. So Mindy, could you just introduce yourself, please, to the listeners? Of course. I'm Mindy Gorman-Pletzer. I have a functional nutrition and eating psychology coaching practice here in the United States. Primarily, I work with clients who have eating challenges. Some have actually had residential treatment for eating disorders, and others are just struggling with chronic dieting, chronic restricting, what we refer to as emotional eating, stress eating, compulsive overeating. And what I'm also finding is that the majority of these clients are also struggling with digestive disorders, hormone imbalances. So that's where the functional medicine nutrition meets the eating psychology. Mm. Oh, no, thank you. And I think just thinking to picking up that point almost straight away, actually, that it seems so common, doesn't it, that I guess, you know, when you've had a disordered relationship with food, that you do experience all of these gut issues and imbalances. And it sounds it's fantastic that you're kind of tying that up in your overall kind of approach in terms of how you work. Yes. Statistically, which I find to be very interesting, having been there myself is that 90 to 98% of people who present with eating disorders also present with digestive distress. And unfortunately, many of these symptoms persist after the eating disorder or disordered eating behaviors subside. Mm. So that speaks to so much. It speaks to the 
the impact of the gut-brain axis. It speaks to how psychology impacts physiology and conversely, how physiology impacts psychology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And no, thank you for sharing that. I'm just sort of thinking with even with people I've spoken to today, how relevant that is. So Mindy, could you tell us a little bit about your story and how you came to do this work? Oh, absolutely. You know, my story is really not unlike so many of the clients that I am blessed to work with. You know, I grew up in a loving home, but it was complicated. And the messages that I received about beauty and image and thinness were were pretty strong. And I took them to heart and became what what I like to refer to as a professional dieter. Mm. And given my personality, I took it to the next level. And, and I need to just add a caveat there that not everybody who starts dieting will develop an eating disorder, but I've never met somebody challenged with disordered eating that didn't start with a diet. So I think that's a really important point. But my behaviors and, and the beliefs I had about food and my body really became more about confusion and fear about what food will do to me. And it followed me from my teens into my 20s. And by the time I hit my mid-30s, my late 30s, I was married, had two teenage daughters at that point. And I can say it was then that I really hit bottom, psychologically, emotionally, and certainly physically. My weight was... Uh, extremely low. According to my family physician, I was two pounds away from needing hospitalization. And this was back in the early 1990s. So there weren't the amount, the plenitude of residential treatment centers as there are today, spa-like facilities. Mm. It was more about hospitalization. Mm. And if you know anything about being hospitalized with an eating disorder, you're essentially put into a psych ward. Mm. And I knew inherently at the time this was not going to work for me. As I said, I had two teenage daughters. My husband and I were pillars in the community, and I was determined Mm. to pick myself up out of the sewer that I felt myself in. So I started with my family physician, weekly weigh-ins, twice-weekly visits to the therapist, and visits with a dietitian, And... Basically, I was being told what I needed to weigh, what I needed to think and feel, and what I needed to eat. And these methods, while they helped me do recovery, they did nothing for me with respect to being recovered because nobody was addressing what I was really hungry for. Nobody was addressing the fact that I didn't feel safe in my body. I didn't feel safe with food. I didn't feel safe in my environment, but I went through the steps like like the good little girl I was, and this took me through, and I was more or less coasting, and then in my late 40s, unfortunately, sadly, my husband of 26 years was diagnosed with metastatic melanoma, and he passed after two years, at which time I threw myself back into that dark hole I had been in. The behaviors took over, the behaviors that really are self-soothing, and we can talk more about that. 
as our conversation progresses. And I had a choice. I found myself faced with a choice of becoming the woman I wanted to be, a woman that my now grown daughters could be proud of, or I could stay hostage to a relationship to food that was anything but freeing and loving. And I chose the former. So I took a deep dive and just a series of happenstance led me to becoming a board certified health coach. And that led me to my training in eating psychology. And that led me to my training in functional medicine. And what I was able to do with all of that training was really create an experience, an epiphany that all systems of the body are connected, that yes, indeed, as I said before, physiology impacts psychology mm-hmm. and vice versa. And I realized that the symptoms that were screaming for my attention regarding my gut health and my hormone health had everything to do with what the messages that my gut was sending my brain and my brain was sending back to my gut. So I developed a program, what became my signature framework, seven steps to stop fearing what food will do to you and start embracing what it can do for you. And here I am. Mm, Thank you so much for sharing. And it sounds like Gosh, you went to some really sort of dark places, didn't you, on that journey? But it sounds like as well, I guess, like so for, for many of us, like hitting those really painful points and, you know, rock bottom almost was then a sort of springboard for your own healing. And then it sounds like so much good has come from that now as well in how you can really support others and have that deep empathy and understanding. Absolutely. I feel very blessed to have the recovered and the big, beautiful life that I am living now. But again, there are triggers. And I tell my clients constantly that sometimes an eating disorder doesn't fully go away, but it can be managed. We have to learn that the healthy voice can have the last word and be louder than the eating disordered voice that wants you to believe that you can't function <laughs> without her. <laughs> oh, no, so true. And do you, do you want to say a bit more about the kind of eating disorder voice and the healthy voice and how you kind of how you help your clients manage that that voice? Yeah, of course. Well, you know, I made reference in my long-winded talk about my own story about how the eating disorder really becomes a method of self-soothing. And what I share with my clients from the get-go in our very first meeting, even before they sign on with me, is that it's important to understand that the eating disorder is not the problem. It starts out as a solution. Mm. It starts out as a solution to that feeling of, that lack of feeling safe in the body, Maybe there was trauma, maybe there was abandonment. And everybody's interpretation of an experience with trauma is different. Mm. So it's important to realize that that eating disorder happened at a time when you needed help in navigating your world. What happens over time is that the eating disorder takes over the world. Mm. And we need to shift 
and we need to find better ways to self-soothe with the understanding that there is no shame in needing to self-soothe. So that's where I start with my clients. We start with understanding the context within which the behaviors evolved. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, looks different for everybody. And, you know, just yesterday I had a conversation with somebody about recovery. Let's define recovery. Recovery is defined as regaining what was lost or taken. And when we are recovering, particularly from an eating disorder, what was taken from us is essentially our appetite for life. Mm. Right? We can look at anorexia as a repudiation of needs. Mm. And we can look at binge eating as, you know, needing more, fear of not enough. Mm-hmm. fear of having to constantly surround yourself with more and then put that in one container and then understand how a relationship with food evolves and takes over is when we understand that our very, very first experience as humans with being seen and heard and nurtured has to do with being fed, mm. right? We survive the the horrific trauma of the birth experience and Mm. our very first experience with warmth and comfort is when we're given the bottle or the breast. Mm. And at that point in time, there's no autonomy. There's no ego. We are bonded as one with the person responsible for our care and feeding. And then as time goes on and we develop a sense of self and we develop a connection to feelings and safety and security, if those feelings are skewed or not being interpreted the way they need to be, our brain remembers mm. needing to be fed, being fed, feeling better. And that's stored in our brains for all time. So that's why a relationship with food is so powerful. Relationship to food is so powerful. Mm -hmm. And that's why addressing challenges with eating can be difficult, certainly more difficult than giving up other addictive behaviors. Mm. Yeah, and it's so true, isn't it? Because I guess with food, yeah, it's kind of a fundamental for our survival, isn't it? And we've got to learn to got to interact often and you know eat several times a day whereas you know if you would been if you had a sort of dysfunctional relationship with alcohol or something else you could just sort of cut that out couldn't you and it perhaps it feels a bit I mean it's not straightforward but I don't know you know a bit easier than having to like navigate a relationship with food yeah yeah you know when we talk about addiction you know and it's funny food addiction has its people that revere it and people that dismiss it. But when we think about addiction, there's physical addiction and there's psychological addiction. Mm -hmm. And yes, when it comes to food, there are definitely foods that are manufactured in such a way that we truly cannot eat just one. We know that, you know, we have the the manufacturers and the the marketers to, to thank for that. But there's a psychological addiction to food, if you think about it, you know, food is love, food has brings memories, sometimes it's punishment. 
but there's a huge psychological component to our relationship to food and therefore what evolves as our behaviors with it. Mm. Yeah, and I think such a great point and really helpful just to sort of clarify that distinction between the physical and the psychological addiction. Mm-hmm. So Mindy as well, it sounds like, like the first time you sort of went through recovery, it was more kind of symptom based, whereas in a way when you addressed it sort of like, sort of, you know, 10 years on or whatever, it sounds like then you went sort of much kind of deeper and sort of did that much more holistic recovery. And I understand as well, you know, because I think, you know, in the UK and in the US, you know, often the approaches are just much more symptom based, aren't they? Because of resources and, you know, what's available. But could you just say a bit more as well about kind of, you know, what was just really different for you that second time, you know, when you did the sort of deep dive into the, in your recovery? Yeah. Well, I want to preface by saying that recovery, the traditional conventional approach to recovery today here in the US, and I imagine all over, is very symptom focused as you're talking about. It's about weight restoration, weight Mm -hmm. management, and behavior management. But I know differently, you know, recovery is very nuanced. It needs to be very bio-individual. And the, the traditional feeding protocol for eating disorder recovery, certainly here in the US, and I imagine all over, is the all foods fit approach, which means that basically in order to commit to recovery, you must be compliant in eating all foods. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't work from a functional perspective, because after years of disordered behaviors with food, whether it's restricting, binging, purging, the gut microbiome is definitely disrupted. There are imbalances. There could be functionality issues, motility issues. And most often, the all foods fit protocol is going to create further symptoms. Now, very often from a conventional point of view, those symptoms are going to be addressed psychologically. Mm-hmm. You're going, the patient will complain about digestive distress and be told that her body needs to get used to eating this way. And then she'll have an additional meeting with her therapist or her dietitian to discuss why she is feeling so challenged with that food instead of looking at what's really going on in there. How is her body functioning as a result of the food that she's eating? And I just, I also want to clarify, I'm using the she pronoun because most of the, all of the clients I work with identify as she. So Mm -hmm. I, I just want to put that out there. I don't want to offend anybody. Yeah. So my approach really looks at what is going on in the gut, what is going on that could be creating hormonal imbalances. Are there blood sugar imbalances from the food that the client is eating that is mimicking anxiety? And then what happens when when these clients are feeling anxious? They turn to or away from food. So it's a very vicious cycle. But if we address it from a root cause perspective, we're likely to get to the crux of the matter. And the other thing I want to say about an all foods fit protocol 
is that very often it's feeding anxiety from a physical standpoint as well as a psychological standpoint. When we can teach our clients to tune into the wisdom of their bodies, because remember, most people who are struggling with eating challenges are totally disconnected from their bodies. So it really needs to start there as well. But when we're connected to the wisdom of our bodies and we can make empowered choices regarding what feels best and what doesn't and choose from there, Mm -hmm. recovery begins. Mm -hmm. Because forcing a client to eat all foods is extremely disempowering. And from my point of view, there's no chance for lasting recovery from anything, whether it's chronic illness or a mental situation, an emotional situation, a psychological situation, without our client feeling empowered. Mm. And it's so interesting, isn't it? I think I'm so with you that you know, it's got to come from that individual and feeling empowered to making the choices rather than feeling, I don't know, controlled or pushed or, you know, yeah, not listening to themselves because you're, you're really wanting that authentic connection, aren't you? But it, I guess as well, because I guess it must be challenging sometimes as well to separate sometimes what have become the eating disorder rules. And, you know, I'm sort of thinking like, in the UK and I'm sure it's the same in the US where the kind of wellness industry is so huge and kind of people you know pursuing kind of perfect health and then eliminating so many foods which has then become actually quite unhealthy Um, Mm. and it's quite a journey isn't it I think kind of getting back to that genuinely healthy sort of middle ground where you are you know properly tuned in and listening to your body and then giving it what it needs Yeah, absolutely. And yes, you know, the wellness movement, it's just really presenting another set of rules, Mm -hmm. you know, and when we are attached to the rules, we're again, disconnected from the wisdom of our bodies. You know, it just becomes another way of promoting eat this, not that. Mm -hmm. You know, even the anti-diet culture movements that are all about today, health at every size, intuitive eating. It's just really another set of rules. It's very difficult to be an intuitive eater when you don't trust your intuition. So, you know, it's very easy to say, okay, you know, I'm going to eat whatever I want, but you have to think about what your body wants instead of what your heart or your head wants when you are still being ruled by shoulds and shouldn'ts. Mm, yeah, no, it's really tricky as well, isn't it? Because I think the whole intuitive eating thing, the message often comes across in the way that intuitive eating is just about kind of eat whatever you want, you know, the hungerful diet mm-hmm. almost. But it is actually, I guess, it is about a whole load of principles, isn't it, and guidelines, which actually, I mean, I don't know about your view on this, but if you embrace it as as a sort of principles, as kind of guidelines, and in that supported, more holistic framework, that's different from kind of like the hunger fullness, just eat whatever you want kind of diet almost. Absolutely. You know, Harriet, it's such an interesting point. And I really honestly never thought about it this way until just this minute. I 
suppose that I am an intuitive eater, mm. but I am a recovered woman. I mm. live a recovered life. So I eat what my body is telling me it wants, not mm. what I should or shouldn't be eating mm. according to someone else's vision of what's healthy and what's not. Mm-hmm. And perhaps if somebody were to look at my nutrition for the day, they might think that I'm a restrictive eater because there are foods that I've determined make me feel unwell. Mm-hmm. But I don't consider it restricting. I consider it to be choice. Mm-hmm. I don't think any about deprivation. I believe that eating in a self-indulgent way in an effort not to feel deprived only serves to deprive you of being the most vibrant, most brilliant version of yourself. Mm. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because I think as you start to the more, you know, I think we sort of have these conversations, you know, these kind of conversations, there's, there is so much nuance in it, I think, isn't it? And I think that this, tricky thing these days is like with social media and everything else things become so black and white and they're not <laughs> yeah well well let's talk about social media you know we're we're mm. surrounded by a culture that has become more about comparison than connection social mm. media started out as a means to connect us mm. it's anything but that now i mean this week all over the news here is how Facebook is aware of the fact that Instagram is damaging to teenagers. Mm. So again, we are living in a society that cares more about comparison than connection. We're also in a diet culture that really is profiting off of the fact that we are disconnected from the wisdom of our bodies. In fact, it's not even diet culture. It, it's everything. It's a whole marketing trend mm. that is profiting off our fear of being left out, right? What is FOMO, fear of missing out. And that's all coming from the fact that we're disconnected, that we, we're not feeling we're enough. You know, the very first step in my seven steps to food freedom is find your enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. No, so, and how do you even begin to help people go about that? Do you think what are the, what's one of the first sort of baby steps to be be able to find your enough? I like to help my clients explore how they're sourcing their self worth. Mm. What were the messages they received? What happened along the way? that they lost touch with their inherent worthiness. Mm-hmm. And that looks different for everybody. Again, you know, as I said, recovery is nuanced. If there's innuendo, but it's so bio-individual because recovery is all about relationships. It's about relationship to self, which is reflected in our relationship to everything else. Mm. Can you say a bit more about that as well, about how, you know, your relationship with yourself is a reflection of your relationship with everything else? Well, it's about how we talk to ourselves. Mm. What we think about, again, 
how we're sourcing our self-worth. You know, if we source our, if we feel best about ourselves when we're giving everything away to others, taking care of everybody before ourselves, not setting healthy boundaries, we're going to behave in one way. If we source our self-worth from how we perceive we look, what we think we need to look like, the image that we feel is important to put out to the world, we're going to have a different set of values. Mm. If we source our self-worth as a measure of success, then that's, that's another issue that needs to be looked at. So again, it's very individual, it's very nuanced, and it's very important to understand where these messages came from, to look at the dysfunction in the message, the distortion in the message, the disorder in the message, reframe that part of the story. Sometimes it can't be reframed, turn the page on it. And as I like to say, start to write what can become your happily ever after. It's never too late to do so. Mm. Yeah, no, I love that actually. It's, it's very empowering, isn't it, to think. I think, yeah, it, it is never too late really. You can always start to shape your story, can't you, and go in a different direction. Yes, you know, I work with women in their 20s and I have clients well into their 70s. Mm. And they're all equally as hungry to reframe those messages and rewrite the part of the story that they can. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And it's so much as well, isn't it, about going, I was just thinking about all those external measures of worth that, you know, we can be influenced by. And I think recovery as well as it's so much isn't it about kind of going within and like you're saying in a way about your relationship with yourself and you know starting to get in touch I guess with your own values you know what's important to you listening to your own feelings and letting go of all that kind of noise all, all those kind of old things that you've been holding on to or the unhelpful parts anyway yes yes you know my process is all about starting with clearing the clutter, mm. eliminating the inflammatory thoughts, mm -hmm. the toxicity that pervades every cell in our body. And mm -hmm. when we do that, when we let go, we're able to receive the blessings that are available to us from recovery, right? Become inspired with the possibility of what lies ahead. And then we, we look at deficiencies, right? Not only nutritional deficiencies that have occurred as a result of our challenging relationship with food, but where are we deficient in our lives? How are we sleeping? How are we moving? How are we managing stress? What are our relationships like? What kind of connections are we making? Where's our purpose? What's propelling us out of bed in the morning? And then we develop a toolbox a toolbox of strategies that help us manage the triggers because triggers will always prevail mm. and tools to just keep going, learning that there are ways to self-soothe that are not self-destructive. Mm. Yeah. And I think as well, that was the word, the words that were coming to my head as you were talking, actually, it's kind of, yeah, it's really sort of embedding, isn't it? Those kind of healthy ways of self-soothing and 
because so often people are just caught, aren't they, on a, on a sort of spinning hamster wheel of, of being in sort of like an adrenaline fight flight or sort of striving place. And, you know, perhaps eating or not eating has become the way to cope, hasn't it, and to, and to soothe. But about rec- part of recovery is about learning those different ways. And to what I love as well is what about you're saying is about kind of finding your purpose and finding your joy and yeah, the reason to get out of bed in the morning. I mean, that that's really about what recovery is about, isn't it? You know, really sort of stepping into the fullest version of yourself. Absolutely. And regaining, taking back what was lost. Mm. You know, and yes, it's easier said than done. Mm. There are blocks to recovery. There is the identity piece. There is the fear of who will I be without these survival tactics, Mm. because essentially that's what they've become. Who will I be if I start feeling my feelings? Mm. Who will I be if I allow myself to be alone with myself? Mm -hmm. And the blocks to recovery are many. You know, again, it's it's self-worth. It's mindset. Mindset is powerful. People with eating challenges are really operating from a mindset of scarcity. Mm-hmm. which is all about fear. Recovery is about coming from a mindset of abundance, which is about setting healthy boundaries, being true to oneself, realizing that saying no is saying yes. Mm. Yeah. And can you just say, say even a little bit more about, I love the way that you refer to, is it the soul-driven abundance mindset? Can you say a bit more about that? Yes. It's first of all, starts with finding you're enough that you are enough right now as you are, finding gratitude for all that surrounds you. And sometimes, Harriet, it's, it's enough just to say that I am grateful because I want to be grateful. I'm mm-hmm. grateful because I'm looking for things to be grateful for. Sometimes it has to be that basic mm-hmm. and taken back to that base-base level. But it's the willingness, right? It's that mindset of abundance brings with it a willingness rather than willpower. Mm -hmm. Willpower is what's involved in the mindset of scarcity. Willpower implies deprivation and restriction, whereas abundance implies empowerment. Mm. And then back to to what we were talking about before with with, my embracing the functional medicine nutrition piece is that And this also ties into what we're talking about with the wellness diets too. Mm -hmm. Saying no to a certain food because it doesn't make you feel well does not mean you're restricting or that you are dieting. Mm -hmm. It means you are honoring yourself. You're honoring your body. You're honoring what your body needs. You're honoring your physiology. You're honoring the, the fact that you needed to rely on disordered behaviors to get you through a difficult time. And you're being accountable to it. And you're being accountable to your healing. And just because you are engaging in a therapeutic protocol, which is how I like to refer to a wellness diet, Mm. doesn't mean it's forever. Mm -hmm. It means that it's just for now. Because also with recovery comes the realization that our bodies change daily, weekly, monthly. Mm -hmm. And with those changes, 
come different needs. And with different needs, we'll, be, we'll call for a different outlook on nutrition and lifestyle choice. Mm. Yes, and it's not really, so it's nothing set in stone, is it really? It's just being able to just be, you know, have that sort of flexibility and to be continually, I guess, tuning in and, and noticing what is it that your body needs and, and how do you need to take care of yourself in this moment? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, Mindy, with your seven-step program, is that, mm-hmm. is, is that a book or is that a course or is that both? <laughs> it's it's <laughs> everything. It's <laughs> the book that I wrote six or seven years ago called The Freedom Promise, Seven Steps to Stop Fearing What Food Will Do to You and Start Embracing What It Can Do For You is available on Amazon. And that is basically all about my journey. Every step, every chapter starts with an anecdotal story of my own insanity, what it was like for me, and then goes into what I've learned to be the steps towards recovery. But that book does not have the functional nutrition piece in it. I didn't have the training then. I have an online program that is called Stop Fearing Food, Start Loving Your Body, an unconventional approach to say goodbye to disordered eating for good. And that is based on the book, but I've added the functional nutrition component. And it's a comprehensive eight-module course that is video and transcript. You get a gut healing bonus. You get bonuses of essential oils. And it's really a wonderfully comprehensive program. Mm -hmm. And then I work one-on-one. And my individual programs, of course, are based on the processes that I talked about, my philosophy Mm -hmm. that we've been talking about. And I take my clients through the steps as, as needed, and we spend as much time as we need on each of the steps. Mm. Okay, well, no, wonderful. Like, I mean, I'll definitely make sure I link those in the show notes. I think um, I'm sure people will be interested to find out more. And where is the best place, Mindy, to find you? Is it your website or what, what's the best place? Yes, my website, thefreedompromise.com. On my website, there's a tab called freebies, and you'll get the guide to my seven steps to food freedom. There is a replay of a masterclass that I taught that is an introduction to the eight module course. So everything is right there. After the masterclass, you can, if you're interested, you are taken to a link to more information about the course and you can sign up that way if that interests you. There's also a link on my website to schedule a complimentary 30-minute call with me to learn about how you can be supported, the many ways that I can support you. So I'm very happy to accommodate any listener who's interested through that link as well. Okay, no, lovely. That's just really fantastic to know that information. So thank you for that. Oh, you're so welcome. And again, Harriet, thank you for the opportunity to talk to you, to get to know you. And it takes a village. And I hope together we can change the conversation about eating disorder, disordered eating recovery, and let people know that there is hope and that recovery, living a recovered life, is so very possible. Oh, well, thank you so much, Mindy. I think it's been a really interesting conversation and just really inspiring 
to hear your journey and you know the insights and the wonderful work you're doing today so thank you so much for coming on the podcast I thank you as well Harriet so I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did and do go and check out all of Mindy's details in the show notes if you're not following me already do seek me out on instagram at the eating disorder therapist and for further support with your relationship with food do go to the eating disorder therapist.co.uk if you'd like to join the book club the link is in the show notes hope to see you there and if you enjoyed this episode i'd be so grateful if you would follow rate and review as it helps the podcast reach so many more listeners thank you so much for listening today and i look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon